Good morning, Cross Point. Thank you so much for joining us as we kick off our fall ministry season. It may not seem like fall outside, but we're starting a brand new series today. So kids, as you're making way you're out, hope you're blessed for a children's church as uh, kids are released for that. And, and as I mentioned today, we are beginning a brand new series through the book of Colossians. Now, I hope that you picked up one of these scripture journals on your way in. This is our gift to you because we believe... It, well, let me stop there before I get into that. Does anybody need one? Because Brandon has some in the back, so if you didn't get one on your way in, he's here. He'll pass it out. This is our gift to you. The, the scripture says that God's Word, it's useful in our lives. It, it teaches. It, it corrects us. It teaches us in the ways that God is calling us to life. That it is a gift to us, and so we want to make this as a gift to you. So yeah, you can just keep your hands raised as Brandon's passing these out. It's also something that we want to encourage you. What I like about these scripture journals is it provides a place not just for passive listening or or passive reading, but it also has a place off to the right where you can take notes, whereas you're reading, the encouragement is to meditate on God's Word, to, to surrender our hearts, to pray, ask God to speak through His Word, to jot down how you sense God leading, what aspects of his word is he highlighting in your heart and mind in this season of life. It can also be a place, if you want, for sermon notes as we go through this series today. Now, you'll notice, some of you may notice a little detail that's a little different with these. And that's that typically I preach through the English Standard Version, which is a version I love um, and continue to use. But the Christian Standard Bible was another translation that I've been kind of reading on my own personally because I like reading different translations. The original texts were written in Hebrew and Greek. And so the CSB is one that maintains a high level of accuracy as I've been kind of researching and studying and using it on my own against the original. But it also has a high level of readability, which I also appreciate. And so that's why I selected that for as we go through the Colossians series to encourage you to to hear God's word as he intended it so that we can apply it accurately to our lives today. And so the theme of this series is Jesus over everything. That what we hold in our hands in the book of Colossians is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul in 60 AD to the church in Colossae. Now, here's the thing. Paul at once hated the church. He hated people who followed Jesus, and and he made it his life's ambition to to shut them up, to break it up, to stop the spread of Christianity. But his cold and stubborn heart met the burning presence of God on a road one day, and it melted his heart like wax. And the one whom he once persecuted, and Christians, he became a follower of Christ himself, laying down his life to proclaim the gospel among peoples across the globe, going on several missionary journeys. At the time when he wrote this letter, he was in prison in Rome. This was about 60 AD. And he's writing it to a church that you're going to hear when we read these opening verses called Colossae. Now, here's the thing that's helpful to understand. Paul had never been to Colossae. He had preached in a a neighboring town about 120 miles away in Ephesus. And there was a guy who was there, a Epaphras, who heard him and then went back to his hometown. To put this in perspective, it would be as if the Apostle Paul was preaching in Jacksonville 
And we'll hear he did like a 12-week series on the kingdom of God. Epaphras was there, and then he came to Orlando, his hometown, and he was like, here's what I heard. And now there's a church in Orlando. Now Epaphras went and he visited Paul. And he's visiting Paul, and he's like, Paul, let me tell you what's happened. I heard you speak in Ephesus, and and there's this church that God has birthed in in, in Colossae, and they're struggling. Like, there's some oppression that's coming in from each side. There's some unique challenges, and and Paul was encouraged by what he heard, and so he wrote this church. And this is the, the letter that we hold in our hands is what he wrote to these believers, and I believe it's applicable to us today because some of the challenges that that church had are challenges that I think we face as well. The call and and how the Apostle Paul responds and what he points them to, we desperately need to hear as well. Because you see, the church in Colossae, there was on one side, there was kind of this mystical spiritualism. There was lots of gods, and so they were willing to just make Jesus one of their many gods. And it it was a town that was known, even archaeologists kind of found this amulet of stone that they would pray to angels and they would say, protect us. There was one such amulet that they found that said, Michael, Gabriel, Oriel, Raphael, protect the one who wears this from evil spirits. And we might be like, in the U.S., would you believe if I said recent studies have shown that 80% of Americans believe in a spiritual world? Only 20% follow Christ. There's a vast majority that's spiritual, that wants to be spiritual, wants to be good, generally believes in the spiritual world, but a Christless world. Good luck charms, karma. Be a, a good person. Manifest the reality that you want to see happen. Let people believe whatever they want to believe. Sounds similar, doesn't it? Now on the other side, so they they felt this pressure on one side at the church in Colossae. Now on the other side, there was also this pressure from a very religious group, these ultra-religious Jews, and they believed that there's not many gods, there's one God, but you can kind of control this God and make good happen to you if you follow certain rituals and, and prayers. And if you do certain things, you don't have to wear an amulet, but you can control God all the same through your goodness. And so you need to do all of these things so God is happy with you. And Paul is going to say, no, there's this center line. There's something I'm pointing you to that is not just one of many gods, this general spiritualism. And no, it's not just all of these rules and and rituals. That Jesus alone is over everything. That if you place your faith and trust in Jesus, he will transform you. That it's only when we reorient our lives, not just in general spiritualism, not just through religious rituals, but on Christ, that we'll truly have life and life abundantly. So here's the question that is going to move with us throughout this series, over these next weeks. It's this simple question, what are you placing above Jesus? We're going to see that we are called to Jesus above everything else. 
And there's going to be this temptation and, and different ways to place something in our lives above Jesus. In Colossians, again and again and again, is going to tell us that Jesus is over everything. So I want to encourage you to stand with me. I'm going to pray and then read Colossians 1, 1 through 8. Here's why we do this. It's not just a routine. I want there to be a distinction in our mind that when we pray, we are about to read God's word. This is more than just a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in Colossae. It is that. But more than that, this is God's word. There's an authority here. So when we read it, I start with prayer because this isn't something we can just approach with human understanding. We need the Spirit of God to help us understand His Word. And I have a stand because I want it to be known that this is the authority, not me. When we read God's Word, this is the authority, so we stand. And then you're going to sit because I'm not the authority. God's Word is. And so measure everything I say against His Word. This is why we do what we do. So let me pray for us and then read the first eight verses together. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity we have together, Lord, to to read your word. Lord, and I pray that you would surrender our hearts to you in this moment. To not just come with human understanding or human arguments, Lord, but we understand that this is your word. And and we need you to open our eyes to see the beauty of the gospel in the face of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we ask that you would do just that. Open our eyes to see, open our hearts to receive what you have for us this morning. And in Jesus' name, amen. Let's read together. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints in the church at Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You have already heard about this hope in the world, in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you, and it is bearing fruit and growing all over the world, just as it has among you since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. You learn this from Epaphras, a a dearly loved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has told us about your love in the Spirit. This is God's Word. You can be seated. We talked through these these first couple verses about who it's from and and to. I want us to look at verse 3 together. We always thank God. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, that Paul is hearing about this people that's following Jesus, whom he's never met. He has not been there before, and yet Paul is filled with a thankfulness as he prays for these people that he's never met. Now, we're going to come back to this idea that that Paul thanked God, but first I want us to see what was Paul thankful for? What was he hearing about this church? in Colossae that made him so thankful. 
Verse 4. For we have heard. I just want to pause here for a moment. When you're reading through the book of Colossians, I want to encourage you that prepositions are important. If you want to help understand and like study God's word on your own, look at the prepositions. You're going to see me do this throughout today's message, that the and, the yet, the for, that there's an argument being made. You follow the prepositions and you'll begin to see those ideas and, and Paul's argument come into place. What was Paul thankful for? Because he's giving thanks for. He's telling us, this is why I'm thankful. I'm thankful because I've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. That's why Paul's thankful. He's thankful because they have heard the gospel that was preached in Jacksonville and believed in Orlando, that was preached in Ephesus and believed in Colossae. These sermons that that Paul gave, and, and here's the thing, in the book of Acts, we have an idea of what Paul would preach during these messages. This isn't just unknown. He would preach in a place, in a place like Ephesus, where they had gods and idols made of silver. They had books of magic that, that were made and, and then laid aside as people followed Christ. And he would stand up and he would preach and he would say that Jesus alone is God. He is above all other gods. That Jesus had to suffer and die on the cross in order to pay the penalty for our wrongs so that we might be forgiven, that we might be accepted, and that by faith alone in Christ we would have a life abundantly and life eternally. And by faith, we weren't just strangers, we weren't merely endured by God, but we were adopted as sons and daughters of his family, of his kingdom. And here's the thing, as Paul preached, some people were persuaded and some people weren't. And the people who weren't then tried to kill him. This is how it went. He preached, some believed, some didn't. Epaphras believed and then took that message and preached it 120 miles away. And they believed, and Paul is like, I'm thankful for this. When I pray, I give thanks for you because when you heard the gospel, it led to faith. And I give thanks for that. And here's the second thing that it says. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and for the love you have for all the saints. That faith has produced in you love. Love for other people who are following Christ And he says, look, you've learned this from Epaphras. This idea of learned, it's where we get the idea of disciple or discipleship. It's not merely that they heard, that they passively heard the gospel being preached and they're like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Let's do that. There was something fundamentally that was being transformed as they heard the gospel proclaimed. That Paul makes it clear that the gospel involves this systematic instruction in the faith and and how it transforms life. And this faith produced in them love. Love for, for one another. And he was overjoyed. We always thank God when we remember you in our prayers. But here's what I want us to notice. Who is he thankful to? He's thankful to God. 
He's not thankful to, to, to the Colossians. He's not saying, hey, thank you. Even though you've never met me, thank you for agreeing with me. Thank you for, for believing me. He's not thanking the Colossians. He's not thanking Epaphras. He's like, I'm so glad that when you heard the message, you took this and, and shared with others. Like, I'm so thankful to you. Was there thankfulness there? Yeah, sure, maybe. But what Paul is emphasizing first and foremost is that he is thankful to God. He's thanking God. This is what I want us to see this morning. That Paul is about to reveal to us what he's thankful for is the faith and love that he sees in the Colossian church. But he's about to tell us what is the root of their faith and love. What's the, the source of their faith and love? These are good things, but I want you to see where it comes from. I want you to see what, what is causing this in your life. And it's this beautiful thing we see in verse 5. This is what I have highlighted and I have a, a red square around. Because. See, I'm giving thanks for your faith and love. Because. Do you see it? There is something that has caused that that faith and love are an outworking of. It is a response to, it is a byproduct of something. But what is it? What is it that's producing this faith and love in the Colossian church? Because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You've already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel. See, this hope, faith and love are a byproduct they are produced by hope. And it's a hope that's hidden in the security the deposit box in Fort Knox of, of heaven. It's reserved. It's secured there. It is founded. This hope is founded on truth. It was purchased by blood. It is victorious over death. This hope is secure. But what is this hope? If this hope has produced faith and love. What is this hope? Because of the hope reserved for you in heaven, you've already heard this hope in the word of truth, the gospel. The gospel that has come to you. The good news of Jesus Christ. This is what produced in them faith and love. A good news that says you were created in the image of God. You have worth and value not because of what you do, but because of who you are as created by God in his image for his glory. You have value. A good news that says even though you are separated from God because of your sin, that while you hated God, while you rejected God, while you ran away from God, God pursued you in his love, in his mercy, in his justice. He pursued you. And he offers you eternal life and life abundantly because ultimately he laid down his life to the point of death, even death on the cross. And he rose again victorious. And if you will place your faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone, you will be saved. This is the good news. This is the hope of the gospel. And this hope produced faith and love in them. 
the songs that, that we sang this morning, that there's healing to the brokenhearted. This is what Jesus, when he stood up and he proclaimed and he read from Isaiah 61, and he says, today this was fulfilled in your hearing, that I have come, that the brokenhearted might be healed, that those in bondage might be freed, that those who mourn would be comforted, that those who feel like they're living in the ashes of brokenness would receive beauty. And to those who dwell in sorrow would experience joy. This is the hope of the gospel. And what I want us to see is that Jesus is our hope. It's in the gospel. And and it's Jesus then who produces, it's because of Jesus that we have faith and love. Do you see this? Now look at verse 6. It's this gospel that has come to you, and it is bearing fruit. The gospel is bearing fruit, and it's growing. It's growing all over the world, just as it has among you since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. So you didn't just hear it, and you're not just saved by hearing it, but you came to appreciate it. You came to believe it. You came to rest your life on the hope of Christ. And when you did that, it produced in you faith and love. And and it hasn't only happened in you, Paul's saying. It's happening all around the world. People are hearing the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it's leading to faith, and it's leading to love, and it's leading to transformation. That this is happening around the world. And and at the time that this was written, it was 30 AD, what was 60 AD, so it was 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. 30 years after that. And already, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of great suffering, without the internet, without airplanes, the gospel had traveled from Jerusalem to Syria, to Asia Minor, to Greece, in Italy, and most likely by this time to Egypt, North Africa, into Persia. When Paul says the gospel was bearing fruit, he meant the gospel was bearing fruit. And here's what I want you to see. Like the verse should be on the screen, and what I want you to hear and know this morning that this verse is still true today. That the gospel is continuing to grow and bear fruit around the world. Sometimes we hear statistics, particularly here in in the U.S., that makes you think, oh, Christianity shrinking. Like, I've heard nationwide statistics that says church attendance is down 30% since the pandemic. It's true. So does that mean Christianity shrinking? Like, oh, no, maybe after 2,000 years, the church is going to fail. No. The church is growing. It's bearing fruit globally particularly in the global south, in South America, on the continent of Africa, the gospel is growing exponentially. You want to know the places, the top six places where the gospel is growing the fastest? Not the most, but the fastest. Iran, Nepal, United Arab Emirates, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, Oman, 
and Yemen. Sometimes we forget that. Verse 6 is true today. The gospel is continuing to grow and bear fruit. It's the gospel of Jesus that is producing this. It is Christ and Christ alone who is preeminent over everything, including over faith and love. Faith and love exist because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is over faith. Think of this for a moment. Jesus is over faith because faith comes from, it is a byproduct of, it is a result of Christ, the gospel. Now let me ask you this, why is this important? Like we can think, okay, yeah, okay, Jesus is over faith, okay, whatever. But why? Who cares? What happens if we place faith over Jesus? Let's invert it for a moment. Let's consider what happens if we place faith over Jesus. That if, if the act of believing becomes more important than the object of our faith. Are you tracking with me? What happens if the act of believing is more important than the object of of our faith, then we begin to hear things like this. It doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what God you follow so long as you believe something. All paths lead to heaven so long as you're a, a good person, so long as you're a faith-filled person. It doesn't matter what you believe. All paths, any faith, will lead to life, and life abundantly and eternally. This is what happens when we place faith over Jesus. That we begin to say all paths lead to heaven, all religions lead to heaven so long as you're a good person. Or, or we begin to hear, well, I'm a spiritual person. I don't follow any particular teaching or religion or church. I'm just a spiritual person. That's what it begins to sound like when we place faith over Jesus. So what happens when Jesus is enthroned in his rightful place over faith? That the object of our faith is of greater importance than how much faith we feel like we have. Then our faith is surrendered to, it depends on Jesus. Then we begin to believe the words that Jesus said when he says, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness. My faith is now rooted in, it is coming from the person and proclamations of Christ. My faith is surrendered to him. John 10, 9, it records where Jesus says, I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. You want life? You want life abundantly? You want life eternally? It needs to be surrendered to Christ. 
And then we believe when Jesus says in John 14, when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That our faith must be surrendered to Jesus because Jesus is the object of our faith. Our faith is surrendered to him. Our faith is not ultimate. Christ is ultimate. And our faith is a response to him in his proclamations and what he declares to be true, not what I think or want to be true. So let me ask you this. I want to kind of give some time for self-reflection on this point. Is Jesus over your faith or have you begun to place your faith over Jesus? Does it matter what you or someone else believes about God? Does it matter? You do you. Whatever's right for you, is, is that right? Do they get to determine what's true? Is it just their faith? Let me ask this. Is it wrong to say that someone else's faith is wrong or misplaced? Though that goes over well in our culture, doesn't it? When you begin to place faith above Jesus, then we'll begin to say, well, whatever's right for you. I can't tell you that you're wrong. Well, Jesus says we're wrong. Jesus says there's one way to the Father, and that's through him. That's what he says. My faith is surrendered to him. When Jesus is over our faith, then we repeat the words of our Savior and not just the words of our culture. Are you beginning to place your faith over Christ? Or are you going to allow this letter and Paul's words to remind us that Christ is over our faith? And the same is true when it comes to love, that Jesus is over love. Love happens. Love is produced in us. It is a byproduct of, it is a result of Christ. And his good news at work in our life is what produces love. It produces love in us. But the same thing, let's think about this for a moment. Slow down and meditate. What happens if we invert this? What does it look like if we begin to place love above Christ? Then we begin to hear things like love is love, is love. We begin to hear things like love is ultimate. My understanding, my definition of love is ultimate. And, and if God is love and we're supposed to love one another, then it would be unloving for me to tell you that anything that you do or want or that makes you happy is wrong. That love is allowing people to do whatever feels right to them because love is ultimate isn't it? That love is the most important thing. Love of a person, love of a child. Love is placed above every truth and everything else because we have unseated Christ and placed love as the ultimate. 
Love means never telling someone they're wrong. Love means that you're perfect just the way you are, and you don't need to repent or change. Love means loving yourself is the greatest love of all. That's what it looks like to unseat Christ and place love over Jesus. And we see it all around us. Some may even see that in their own reflection. So what happens when Jesus is over love? What happens if the object of our love, Jesus, is what is of greater importance? And that transforms then the way we love others. Then our hope, our love depends and believes in the words of Jesus. Our definition of love comes from Jesus. Our expression of love comes from Jesus. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. I've been reading through the Proverbs, and there's times when it's like five things God hates, six he detests. That there are things that God loves, and there are things that God hates. There are things that God says is right, and there's things that God says is wrong. And God says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. That we will lay aside a personal desire. We will lay aside our personal desire, our understanding of love for a God-fearing obedience and proclamation that God is ultimate not love. Love is a result and expression of Jesus. What and who we choose to love will be surrendered to Jesus. Because love is not ultimate. Jesus is ultimate. What about when Jesus says in Matthew 5, you have heard that it is said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. See, a supernatural love is also not just going to, it's also going to lead us to love others who may not come natural to us, may not be the easiest. This is saying your enemies, those who harm you, those who persecute you. I want you, I want my love through you to be expressed to them. That you will love people supernaturally because you will see them as made in the image of God. Tomorrow is 9-11. There are countless missionaries who have laid down their lives to love Muslims among the nations. Enough to leave family leave home, learn culture, learn language to proclaim the hope that can be found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is a supernatural love that is produced by Jesus. To lay down their lives. It means that, that racism and prejudices are put to death because our love is surrendered to Christ. 
And so we love people who don't just look like us, who don't have the same background as us. It means we see them as Christ sees them, made in his image. And so our love is challenged, it is defined, it is surrendered to Christ. I give you a new command, Jesus said, love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. See, our love is a response to Jesus. See, when we place our love above Jesus, what happens is we get to define what love is. We get to to measure its boundaries. But when Christ is above love, and we say the love that we're supposed to show to others is a love we have received, now it has lines. It has a boundary. It has an example. And it's like what you have received, I want you to show to others. I want you to demonstrate to others what you have received. So what have we received? We received a love that looked us in the eyes and said that we were sinners in need of repentance. A loving God who looked at us and called us to a different life, called us to repentance. A love that said that we were lost and headed for for destruction. A love that stepped in front of the path that we were on that was headed for destruction said, don't go that way. A love that pursued us. When we didn't seek him, when we didn't want him, a love that pursued and pursued and pursued us. A love that expressed through extreme humility lived out in suffering, a love that ultimately led Jesus to lay down his life to death. That's the love we received. And that's the love we're called to show. That's what it looks like when Jesus is over love. So let me ask you this. Have you placed love over Jesus? Is it wrong to say that someone's lifestyle or behavior is wrong? Is it wrong to call people to repentance? Is it wrong to say that there are things that are right and things that are wrong? Do you excuse hatred, mistrust, prejudices against others, excusing it from experiences or stories you've heard, skin color, background, nationality, behavior, and you excuse unlove, being unloving. Maybe you think you're upholding truth. Do you see the fine line here? 
Christ needs to remain where he rightfully belongs as over both faith and love. Jesus is ultimate. Not our faith, not our love, but Christ. Let that be lived out in our life. Let our eyes be fixed on him above everything else because he alone is worthy. He alone is sufficient to be the hope that will transform our lives. Let's pray. 